to be back with you. I am uh, been in Decatur, Alabama for a uh, missions conference and uh, my wife and I went together and uh, my wife got pneumonia on the way home. So she's been in the hospital and uh, she has a, a cancer called multiple myeloma, which is uh, a, like a leukemia, it's a blood cancer. And so we've been fighting that uh, for the last two and a half years. And uh, you know, it's an amazing thing. I've been working on my taxes this week and uh, I looked at the medical bills and I was just amazed because God has been so faithful in providing and I didn't see it until I did my taxes. I, I guess that's a blessing from doing my my taxes and and I realized my daughter is in uh, is in school and uh, we've been able to take care of her school fees and I didn't realize that until I looked at my taxes and you know it's it's an amazing thing how the world will say that's not something you really want to do but God can actually use it to remind you of his faithfulness of his provision of his goodness and so as my wife and I have gone through the things that we have faced, um, we have seen God's hand, God's hand of faithfulness uh, to us. Um, on the way to church this morning, uh, I was behind a car and the, it had a bumper sticker and it said, do you follow Jesus this close? <laughs> and I was, I was wondering, like, I would like to say yes, but then I don't want to sound like a tailgater. <laughs> so I just kind of backed off because it was written in really, really small, small letters. But we have seen God's faithfulness and uh, we are grateful. Um, we, we have drawn closer to the Lord and to each other as we have faced this. Uh, and that's what we promised to do. You know, when we got married, right in sickness and in health, um, for richer, or for poorer as long as we both shall live. And so we're getting a chance to, to actualize those vows and to see them really, you know, how important they are. So let me just open in a word of prayer, okay? Father in heaven, thank you so much for your provision. Uh, Lord, whether it's our taxes or whether it's just daily, daily life, we see how good you are and how, how you provide for us and how wonderful it is to know you and to walk with you day by day. And uh, Lord, I just want to pray for my wife uh, this morning. I just uh, She's on my heart. And uh, I pray that you would just be uh, drawing her closer to you, blessing her and, and healing her according to your plan and your will. And thank you for the blessing that she has been to me uh, for these 34 years. And Lord, I pray that uh, as I open your word today, that you would speak to each one here, that we might be encouraged and uh, love you more as a result. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. I was in uh, Decatur, as I mentioned, and uh, uh, one of our graduates from Dallas Seminary, you know, I'm a professor at Dallas Seminary, which, by the way, I never thought that I would ever be doing that. <laughs> I thought that I was going to be a missionary for 34 years and we would just uh, fin finish our lives out in Zimbabwe where we were for so many years. And we, we loved it there. We loved the people there. 
uh, well, I don't know if my wife loved it as much as I loved it, but it was a wonderful, wonderful job uh, that, that we had to do there. And uh, I often think about going back uh, for my sabbatical to, to see if they'll invite me to come. You know, you can't just show up. They ha you have to be invited uh, because when you, when you build a school, then everyone continues to look to you for leadership, even though you're no longer in leadership. And that undermines the local leaders. You know, when they, people come to you instead of to, to, to the guys that are actually in charge. So I can't just show up. I, and uh, that, that's a privilege. So while I was in Decatur, I was doing a series, a series of messages on this theme of, uh, in your program, it says, the mission of God in a world gone mad. And uh, the idea behind this is, is simply this, that we live, sorry, we live in an upside down world we, where, where the world is telling us that up is down and down is up. And you, you can find that the more, the more things that the world is proposing, you know, trying to get us to move towards, and then you look at what the word of God is saying, and you actually find it's the opposite of what the world is saying. Uh, for instance, here's a school where students are told not to wear green and red during Christmas, because these colors remind people of Christmas. Well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a way of trying uh, to, to, to make everyone feel comfortable at the sake of not proclaiming who Christmas is really all about. Or for instance, history. I was asked to write a history of the leadership of Prince George's County. Prince George's County, does anybody know? Washington, D.C.? Okay. I was asked to write a history of the leaders of, of this county. What, how did this county develop? Uh, my PhD is in, in missions history. And so what I did is I just looked at their diaries, looked at their, their, their backgrounds, and they were godly people. And that's what I said. And they told me I couldn't say that. That I could write history, but I can't tell what kind of lives these people had because that mentions God, and uh, we don't want God to be mentioned. So you can only write history from a perspective of, uh, of, of what they did sec from a secular perspective. And I, I have a hard time because that's not real history. That's not really telling the truth about what history is. And then I was asked to do a wedding uh, without mentioning God. We, we came to Texas from Connecticut, and my son was on a wrestling team. And his wrestling coach came up to me and said, uh, I don't go to church. I don't know any, any Christian people. But my wife and I, we want to, uh, my girlfriend and I want to get married. And would you be willing to do the ceremony? And I said, yes. Under one condition, we have to do premarital counseling. So in the first premarital counseling, he said, uh, we don't want you to mention God in our wedding. And I said, well, what you really want, you don't want to, a minister, you want a justice of the peace, <laughs> they will do, they will gladly do that. But a minister will not. And I said, why, why do you want a minister anyway? And they said, well, we thought it would be really special. Okay, this couple, we thought it would be really special if we could get a, a minister to agree not to mention God in our ceremony. 
and, and uh, it would also make our grandmother happy. I said, who's your grandmother's? He said, well, she's, she owns a paint company, <laughs> a big paint company. And I wouldn't, I'm not going to mention the name of the company. You would all know exactly what paint company this is. And she doesn't want them to get married. She just wants them to live together. And, and you know, we were able to share the gospel with this couple. Uh, but I couldn't do their wedding. You know, they, they had to get a justice of the peace or someone else to do it. But this is the kind of thing that the world is presenting. Uh, Christian views are more and more seen as outside the mainstream of normal life. In spite of this, God's sovereignty accomplishes his mission. And let's find out what he's doing and, and get on board with it. In other words, even though the world does not recognize God's sovereignty, he's still sovereign. And he's still going to accomplish exactly what he wants done. And at the end of the day, we're all going to find ourselves uh, exactly where he wants us to be. And so don't let the world see. This is, this is the thing. Here's another example before I, I go to this. Um, yes, here's a secular view about Christmas. Please accept with uh, obligation, with no obligation, implied or implicit, our best wishes for an environmentally conscious, socially uh, responsible, low-stress, non-addictive, gender-neutral celebration of the winter solstice holiday, practiced within the most enjoyable traditions of the religious persuasion of your choice or secular practices of your choice, with respect for the religious secular persuasion and or traditions of others, uh, choices not to be practiced, uh, who choose not to practice religion or secular tradition at all. I mean, that's about as watered down as you can get. And, and yet, um, you, you can't expect the world to act like Christians, okay? You, if you're thinking that we should have uh, uh, non-Christians who just behave like Christians because they just think it's the best way to live, uh, I'm, I'm afraid you're in for a little bit of a, a disappointment. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. But this is my concern, is that this is, this is my pastor, Bill Brewer, and we were sitting down and talking about this, and what he said was that the concern is not that the world is behaving like the world. The concern is that Christians are being sucked in and, and embracing what the world is doing and just, be, you know, basically going along with it. Um, in, the, in the book of Ephesians, uh, I just wanted to share this, to, to, to show you exactly how this happens. In, in uh, Ephesians 4, 7, uh, 14, yeah, Ephesians 4, 11 to 14, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to, to, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, rather speaking the truth in love, 
We are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so what, uh, what Pastor Brewer and I were talking about, he was saying we are more influenced by the messaging of the world than the message of the word. That we are sometimes uh, tempted to follow what the world is saying is right rather than what the, the word is saying. And they are not in agreement with each other. They are not headed in the same direction. And uh, to some degree, we have to make a choice every day. Every day, wherever you go, you have to make a choice as to whose message are you going to follow? Whose message are you going to, to, to let guide you into, into your decisions? You know, someone said that you make almost 200 decisions every day. Some of the decisions are to get up in the morning <laughs> and get out of bed. That's a decision. Uh, ho hopefully, that's not a hard one. But as you're making all of these decisions, you, you have to be guided by the word. Otherwise, you can be led astray. You can actually find yourself following the world's way, thinking that that's right, when in fact it's actually opposed to what the word of God is saying. And it's so important for us to be in the Word. Another thing that uh, Pastor Bill said, our society is being tossed around by the waves of our own self-deception. I mean, that's ex you ever been to the beach and you see little children out there in the water and when the wave hits them, it just knocks them over. It, just, uh, it can even suck them out in, into the, the undertow can suck them out. But an adult, the wave just hits them and goes right right through. That's exactly what Ephesians 4 is talking about, that these waves of, of different views are coming and they're hitting, and we need to be people who can just let that wave just go right through because we are standing on the Word of God. And so what I wanted to do is, uh, is take a look at Acts 13. Now, this is the first in this series, and Acts 13 basically gives us a clear idea of what the mission of the church is. And this is a good reminder. It's a, it's a good reminder for us to, um, to just come back and think, what is it that we are really called to do? You know, if the world is telling me that I need to be doing this and that, and it changes every day. If you, if you watch the news, it's it just like a world is coming up with a new idea for you to, uh, to embrace all the time. And, uh, and, and, and even implying that this is old stuff, okay? I mean, nobody really wants to, to follow this anymore because, you know, we, we've moved on. You know, we've, we've, gotten, we've gotten better. And the fact is, is that our goal is maturity in Christ. I mean, that's what Ephesians was talking about, that we are to become mature in Christ, not blown away left and right by all these winds of doctrine. So let's begin with first, uh, for Acts, the book of Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, 
Lucius of Cyrene, Minion, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, uh, let me just say a few things about this before I go on. Um, these are very interesting names. I mean, each one of these names has significance. Um, the Middle Eastern culture always has a name has to have significance. It has to have a meaning. You know, my name's Rodney. I don't even know what Rodney means. I mean, that, that, that's just uh, the name that my parents liked, uh, and they gave it to me. Uh, but when we named our daughter Ariel, now that name has meaning. That name means lioness of God. And uh, it also is the Little Mermaid, which happened to be <laughs> just, just coming out when, we, when she was born in 1990. And, uh, and we loved the Little Mermaid, and we thought, wow, it's a biblical name. And uh, so, so we chose that one, and, uh, and we like it. But all of these names are significant. And as you look at these names, you see two kinds of names. You see Hebrew names. And then you see Greek names. And this is because the church in Antioch had a mixture of people. People who were from Greek backgrounds and people who were from Hebrew backgrounds. And uh, just turn over to chapter 11, Acts 11, verse 19. This is how the church at Antioch began, just to give you some idea. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution, okay, this is the persecution that happened in Jerusalem to drive the church out, to get the church to do what it was supposed to do, okay? God is not beyond putting a little heat under the church in order to get us to do what he wants us to do, okay? So this persecution that arose over Stephen uh, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, that means the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So who told these, these two guys who don't, don't even get their names mentioned in the Bible, but they're from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they go to Antioch, and all of a sudden these two lay guys decide, hey, let's preach to these, these Greeks over here. Let's see if, what would happen if we, but, but, but wait a second, we only preach to Jews. Yeah but, yeah, but yeah, but let's let's try. Let's just see what would happen if we preach to these guys. And so as a result, the church at Antioch was was started by two lay people who broke out, so to speak. They broke the mold. They decided that somehow or other these Hellenists should hear the gospel. And so as a result, we have these names in, in, in Acts 13, verse 1, that... Uh, that are very clearly Greek. Lucius is very clearly a Greek name. Uh, Minion is very clearly a Jewish name. We have Saul and others. And notice here that, that um, it's the leaders of the church. It's the leaders of the church in Antioch 
that God is going to select some missionaries from. And these are not the teenagers who are thinking about going on a short-term mission. These, these are the guys that are leading the church there. And pa Paul, the Holy Spirit, is, is going to call two of them to go and, and, and serve him in a way that, that, that no one else has done before. And this, this, is, really, uh, this is really amazing. But then in verse 2, um, let's see. Yes. Um, so they, they, they took seriously God's command in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And, and you know, the, 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 the command that we should be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the, of the world. And they took this command seriously. And then prophets and teachers uh, were the mature. Uh, if you go back to Ephesians, to Ephesians, and you think, what was the goal? The goal was maturity, that people would grow to maturity in Christ and, and then go out and reach others. You know, one of the greatest joys um, uh, I have as a professor is to have a discipleship group with just some students. And they don't get any grades. I don't even mark papers. All we do is get together and grow, and grow spiritually. And, and we meet at 6.15 in the morning on, Saturday, on Friday morning. Now, if you can get students to get up at 6.15 in the morning, they've got to be committed. They've got to want to be there. It, it can't be just something that they decide, uh, you know, that I'm going to get a grade out of this. The grade is life. The grade is life. And, and the idea is you don't want to go to school your whole life and then graduate and be able to do nothing. Do, do you know what I mean? You've studied, you've gotten your degree, and there's no job available. We, we were just talking about that. My, and, and what we need is, is people who can not only understand what the word is saying, but also appreciate how it can be related to people. And the only way you can do that is by being around people. You, you know, I mean, seminary is a wonderful place, and I love it, but you have to get out and be around people to find out what it is that they are struggling with, what it is that is the, is, are the dynamic equivalents where I can connect with you to understand that and, and make the word relevant. And, uh, and so I, I encourage them to get out and do that. And then Antioch was a diverse uh, church. A, it was a diverse city. Um, you know, probably a very large uh, city. I think I mentioned to you that we were in China, or I was in China this past summer. And uh, I was in a small city called Jinan of just 7 million people, the size of Houston. This is a small city. This is, well, okay, medium, medium-sized city in China. And this, summer, this coming summer, I'm going to Beijing, and I'm going to be teaching at uh, Peking University. Uh, cross-cultural communication. And uh, I'm, I'm excited because they're hungry. You know, I came, I came to Dallas from Yale University. <laughs> they're not hungry there. You know, they're, they're full of themselves and their own minds. And it was the hardest ministry I've ever done in 34 years as a missionary was trying to reach Yaleys for Christ. But here, Beijing University, which is the equivalent in China of 
Harvard, these kids, 18, 19 years old, are, are curious. You know, they do ask me questions like, who did you vote for in the last election? I said, that's probably not the best question to start off a discussion. And then they say, well, why, why didn't you vote for this one? You know, this, this is the one that we wanted, like China was voting in our elections. <laughs> or how much do you weigh? You know, I was like, that's not a good question uh, to ask. Well, okay, well, how much money do you make? And all these questions that they want to know, they're curious about, and I'm trying to explain to them from a cross-cultural standpoint that if you ever find out the answer to those questions, it will probably not be the first, the first time you meet someone. You're going to have to wait until you get to know them really, really well. But, uh, but they're curious about our culture. They're curious about coming here, about coming and studying at, uh, at this university uh, right around the corner. And, uh, and that's why they invite guys like me to come over and teach. And they don't allow me to share the gospel. They don't allow me to talk about Jesus uh, until lunchtime. <laughs> and I live for lunchtime because at lunch, that's when all the all the bars are released, and we can talk about anything that they want to talk about. Actually, we can talk about it in class if they bring it up, but I can't, I can't bring it up. And so it's exciting for me to, to, to realize that they are they're hungry, and this is an opportunity to have an impact in a, in a country with 1.2 billion people. And I talked to you about Confucius. You know, you probably wonder, why is that guy talking about Confucius in church? Because that's what they're teaching their children in elementary school now. That's what they're teaching them. Instead of SATs, they have to learn Confucianism. And if that's what they're teaching them, then that's what I want to know. I want to understand it and be able to appreciate it. So the, the next thing is the church where, uh, where the Holy Spirit is working is where these missionaries are being called out. So there's leaders there. The leaders are, are, are serving, and they're from a diverse uh, group. But then in verse 2, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, uh, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Um, you know, the calling of God, I'll never forget. Um, I was a captain in the Air Force, and uh, I was uh, praying and asking God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to stay and make a career out of the Air Force, or do you want me to uh, resign and go into some other uh, ministry? And uh, one night I was reading Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. I won't read it now, but just write it down if you're taking notes. And I know that that's the suffering servant. I know that it's about the, the, the coming Messiah. But that night, it was jumping off of the page to me. And it was God's way of saying to me, I, I have something else for you to do. I have a ministry for which I, have, I want you to fulfill. And... When I call you home, that's what I want you to be doing. It's, 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 not, it's, not, it's not a retirement thing, you know. It's, it's not the kind of thing uh, that you can just say, hang up when you get tired of it. God is continually expecting us to work towards this goal. And for me, 
It was to build people by opening their eyes to truth. That's what I want to be doing when, when I meet him face to face. And many times uh, people never really discover what it is that God wants them to do. I, I can't tell you what he wants you to do ex except from the word of God. I can't tell you specifically. You have to seek him. You, you know, you have to, to go before him and say, Lord, my neighbors, I don't think they know. I don't think they know the Lord. How can I reach them? You know, it, it was no one who told uh, those two guys from Cyprus and Cyrene. Why don't you try to share the gospel with those Greeks? Why don't you see how they would respond if they heard about Jesus? They just did it. They just took the initiative and they just said, we're going to try and see what happens. Well, maybe that's, that's, that's how your neighbors, why God is bringing neighbors around you so that you can see if, if, if maybe they, they are open to hearing this message. You know, we were out witnessing with our uh, students, and uh, I was assigned with two of my students to Greenville Avenue, you know, where they had the big, uh, uh, what is the 17th of March? Okay, St. Patrick's Day. And, you know, they're all drinking and, 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 and this kind of stuff. And so we ended up uh, meeting a guy that was, uh, he had his uniform on uh, like he was working for a, uh, uh, a, a telecommunication company. And, uh, and he said, yeah, I, I would really like to hear, you know, what you guys have to say. And he was so open. I, I mean, I was shocked that he was so open to hear about what we had to say. And he thanked us probably 10 times for just stopping him and taking the time to share. But then the next guy that we talked to, <laughs> he was not so open. And uh, he, was, he was angry. And I, I won't go into the details, but it was political. And, and we, we, we like, we want to share with you something that is so precious, something that, that can change your life. And, and, and you won't have to worry about all these politics anymore because they'll never change your life. They'll never give you peace and joy the way we're talking about. But he was so angry, we couldn't even get a word in. And, and our job at that point was not to try to convince him of anything, but to just show him love, to just listen to him uh, go on for a bit. And then he'd say, now what was it that you guys wanted to share? And then we started sharing. He cut us off and just kept on going. And you'll find people like that, and you'll find people who will be amazed that you would even bring up the topic because God had been preparing their hearts. And, and how did you know? That's like, how did you know that I was just thinking about that? Well, you didn't know, <laughs> but God knew. And, and so as a result, God said he wanted Saul and Barnabas. You, you notice that Saul and Barnabas? He wants Saul and Barnabas. And we know that Paul changed his name from Saul. Saul is a Hebrew name. Paul is a Greek name. And so who is he trying to interact with? He's trying to interact and relate to Greeks. Even though he is a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, he is really the top in terms of all the learning uh, on Hebrew. 
he wants to reach Gentiles for Christ. And that is so amazing. You know, people say to me, why do you want to go to China? I, I say, because I want to reach Chinese for Christ. And they say, but you're not Chinese. <laughs> and I say, I know, I know, I know. But God has just given me a heart for Chinese people. And I want to I wanna reach out to them. I want to learn how to speak uh, um, ma Mandarin so that, so that when I go there to share, I can share uh, closer to them. I want to learn Confucianism. I want to understand the culture and be able to communicate to them. And so here Paul and Barnabas, by the way, Barnabas never did change his name. You know, I think when you've got a name like Barnabas, you don't want to change it, right? It's such a wonderful, you know, son of encouragement, such a wonderful name that you just, you know, got to keep that one. But God says he's going to take these two guys and send them out to do this ministry. We often underestimate what the Holy Spirit can do in one year, but un uh, well, sorry, overestimate, but underestimate what he can do in five years. Unity is key to the Holy Spirit's working, and social needs of a community must, must be addressed. And you remember the, the widows, the widows who were not getting served well? You know, what was the number one qualification to serve the widows, to be filled with the Spirit. You know, choose leaders who are filled with the Spirit so that they can be used to serve. And uh, this, this is something that uh, I, I am impressed with the church at Antioch because they listened to the Holy Spirit. And uh, when the Holy Spirit said, I want you to send Paul and to send Barnabas, they said, you know, as we say, yes, sir, that's who we're going to send. And I think that's significant in, in that, um, you know, that it's not the church that initiates, it's the Holy Spirit that initiates, and the church responds, the church listens, the church uh, gets in step. Have you ever heard of this series by uh, Blackaby, uh, Experiencing God? Oh, and he's just always in there talking about God is working. Let's, let's get where God is working and move with him uh, rather than telling God how we will work and how he can get in touch with us. He can, stay, he can get in step with us. God doesn't get in step with people. You know, God, God wants us to get in step with him and to, to find out what he is doing and getting in step with it. And that's what we did uh, that's what Blackaby is trying to help us uh, to understand. But then this is how the church responds. And, and that is the church acknowledged that then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Have, have any of you ever had people lay hands on you? I mean, not, not to beat you up, <laughs> but to bless you, to pray over you to acknowledge your calling. You know, we as missionaries uh, went out, and the first thing, by the way, they ask us in Zimbabwe, where do you want to be buried? You know, and I, I'm 30, 34, 35 years old, and my children are, and I'm not thinking about being buried anywhere. And they said, you can't wait until something happens 
to decide where you're going to be buried. Do you know when, when I went to China last summer, they, they, I, had to, I had to sign a, a, an, an agreement that within 36 hours, if, if I were to demise there, that I would be cremated and my ashes would be scattered because that's how they handle death in China. They, they don't bury people, they cremate them. And so the option is you either follow their, their way or you pay $60,000 for embalming and shipping uh, by air back, uh, back home. And I said, oh, just cremate me, I, I, don't, I don't care. Well, when I told my parents, uh, they, weren't, uh, they, they didn't see it quite the same way <laughs> as, as, as I did because they wanted to make sure that it was actually me and that it was actually you know, over. And we have traditions here in this country that are very different from, from China in terms of how we handle death. To them, death is the end. It's nothing. There's nothing after that. Uh, their society is based on a humanistic, uh, atheistic uh, philosophy of communism. So when you die, that's it. Well, we as believers don't quite follow that. We believe that it's just a transition, and that transition happens. But the, po the point is, is that uh, they, they were willing to lay hands on them. And uh, that's one thing that I have appreciated about my church is that they have laid hands on me uh, to ordain me, as well as to send me out. And um, they also came to my house when my wife got cancer, and they laid hands on my wife. And uh, I appreciated that as well, uh, because I believe she's in, she's in God's hands. And so there is a blessing that the church can bestow on those who are called to do a, a certain kind of ministry or even be, feel weak and feel like I need encouragement, and that is to lay hands on, on them and, and ask God to bless them. And sometimes, it's so funny, but sometimes you won't really recognize that blessing until you get out there and start doing things. And then you realize, hey, the church prayed for me. The church is praying for me, and God is using me in, in an amazing way, and it's because they're praying. You know, one of the things that I would, I would never want to give up as a missionary, even though I, I'm a professor now, but I still feel I'm a missionary, is to have a prayer team who, who are praying uh, for me. And they're praying actually right now. There's 40 of these people and they pray for my wife and I every single day. And we send them a list of prayer requests for every day of the week. And what this does after 25 years, it accumulates about 4,000 answers to prayer because we average about 15 a month for, for 25 years. It gives you confidence that prayer is not going to be the the, the, the last place, you know, like when you've tried everything on your own and then you say, well, why don't we pray? <laughs> why don't we ask God for help? No, it's not going to be the last thing. It's going to be the first thing. And so the church is encouraging Paul and Barnabas. It's laying hands on them and it's supporting them. It's, it's giving to them and, and sending them out and saying, you know, if you get out there on the field and you have no way to take care of yourself, 
You let us know, and, and we'll see what we can do. And so these are the, uh, the characteristics of, of what I call a missionary sending church. And the world is not going to pat you on the back for doing this, okay? The world is going to say, well, why don't you spend that money here? Why don't you, why don't you, you know, do, do more stuff here? Why would you want to go to Zimbabwe of all places? You know, or why go to China? You know, we need help here. And until everyone here is taken care of, why, why go to China? Well, we go to China because God commands us to go into all the world, you know, starting from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria uh, to the uttermost parts of the world. And that's what we're called to do. Let me pray that God would help us to do that. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for the opportunity to be reminded that the world is gone mad to some degree. And it is not going to congratulate us for serving you and loving you with all our hearts. But Lord, we need to be internally motivated by your word, by studying it, by, 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 by um, reading it each day, by meditating on it, and then, and then by acting on it, by going out and doing what it says. And Lord, I pray that you would bless each person here who's heard this message today and give them opportunities this week uh, to, to serve you and to proclaim your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.